Hi, and welcome to the Voice of 5G podcast. It's a podcast from Ericsson with me, Paul Cowling. And me, Janina Townend. Hello, Janina. Just so you listeners out there know, we were just talking about what, what was it, the tea trolley? <laughs> What's a tea trolley? And if you want to know the relevance of tea trolleys to 5G, you have to listen to a previous episode. Yes, the futuristic one from Mobile Congress. We're talking about Mobile Congress, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, this is the ultimate Mobile World Congress episode. It is. And this is part four of our Mobile Congress coverage, talking all about the latest, hottest stuff that's being shown at the big trade show in Barcelona in February of 2023, February, March. And now we are doing sort of a recap of what was the highlights. What were the highlights? And so today we're going to what you might call lift the hood. Yes. Look under the bonnet, if I take English, English. <laughs> yes. And and look what's actually happening in the 5G network. Yes. But let's start off this episode by listening to a service provider, one of the top 5G service providers out there. And for you, dear listeners, service provider, that's like your mobile operator. Yes. <laughs> let's let's say that. Yes, so that is who you buy your phones and your <laughs> SIM cards and your the person subscri- who runs subs- the network yes, that your phone connects to sub- subscriptions from. That's what we call operators or service providers. And here we have Telstra Australia. We talk to Sanviratna. I hope I'm probably doing a bad job pronouncing everyone's names here because I wasn't there. But our roving reporter Swati Varma talked. To him, and he's the head of technology development and innovation at Telstra Australia. And they've come quite far when it comes to 5G. Hi, sir, I'm Swati, and uh, we are here at this beautiful Ericsson's booth at Barcelona for the Mobile World Congress. And uh, just very excited to speak to you. And as Hi. you know, this is going to go on the Voice of 5G podcast. Okay. All right. Hi, my name is Chana Senavaratna. I'm the Head of Technology Development and Innovation in Telstra. Thank you, sir, and welcome. So what is the most important and interesting thing that you have seen at the Ericsson's booth, if I may ask? Um, So what's really important to us is how we monetize 5G. So uh, if I look at the the demos there, you know, selfishly, uh, one that's really interesting to us is a joint uh, demonstration about network slicing that Telstra has done with Ericsson. It's in the construction industry, but really what we see is that with features like network slicing, we really want to uh, advance the use of that in enterprises. And so we see that as as really important. And then there's other demonstrations around uh, APIs and how we monetize APIs. We are part of an alliance of 20 tier one operators who have announced an initiative called Open Gateway. So uh, again, that's exciting. It's part, it's for the future. But, you know, hopefully in the next year to two years, we'll start to hopefully get some traction and start to get some monetization out of that. And uh, I guess another area that is, is around sustainable networks. You know, we are very uh, conscious of having to reduce our carbon footprint. 
you know, the company has got goals, you know, as being responsible and doing res business responsibly. And so we're constantly looking to, to how we get more energy efficient equipment into the network, how we deploy software features which leverage, you know, and find the right balance between performance and energy consumption. So, so these are things uh, that, that are really important to us, and it's great to see these demos you know, right throughout this area. So, well, thank you, that's very encouraging for us as well to know. So what is the vision going forward for 5G rollouts, the company in the yeah. country, what do you see as the vision? So, I mean, today our 5G network covers 81% of the population, and it carries about 30% of the total wireless traffic. But we've got a, a really ambitious program by the middle of 2025, it's going to cover 95% of our population and it's going to cover 80% of all wireless traffic. So that's, we're going to ramp it up, right? So, um, and that's why the partnership with Ericsson is so important because we have to do that, we have to densify our network. And so one of the things that, that I looked at was the small cells or street cells. And that's something that we've developed in partnership with Ericsson, right? So yeah, again, this is the benefit of having this strategic partnership with Ericsson and why we can accelerate, because we have a very short timeline, right? So having the strategic partnership allows us to work together and accelerate the deployment of this capability so we can achieve those ambitions. Great, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you, and it was wonderful having you here with us today. Thank you very much, The big thing at Mobile Congress when it came to networks were the gigantic product launches that Ericsson did <laughs> just before. It was all, I think it was like 19 radios or something. It was crazy. 19 products, 16 radios, something like that. It was big. Paul, what did you see? Big. I saw, strangely enough, I saw a lot of radios. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Should we describe what a radio is? It's not like the one that you listen to your AM and FM channels on. It, it's not one of those little boxes of plastic with knobs on the top that you... That it's you, not. It doesn't have a slider on it that shows what frequency band no. it's connected to. <laughs> I mean, everybody sees like mobile masts and mobile antennas on the on rooftops and on in the corner of the street or on the top of a hill somewhere. You see... The mast or a little, little tower with antennas mounted onto it. And somewhere, and they could be also mounted on the mast or they may be mounted down the bottom, there will be a radio. And the radio is the box that generates the signal that goes to the antenna that becomes the radio signal that goes out into the world and finds its way to your telephone. Yes. It's basically what we, what makes you able to use your phone, right? Basically, yeah. <laughs> one of the yeah, important parts. Uh, one of the important parts. The other important part, of course, is the, what we call the, the baseband unit or the digital unit, or we also talk about radio access network computing unit, RAN computing. And that kind of takes your internet traffic or your voice, digitized voice information and converts it into a signal which can be sent by the radio unit. Mm. We've really <laughs> tried to describe this. Super easy. Everyone should be aware. So the big things that were like hot at Mobile Congress was a lot about the energy efficiency in these radio units. The energy crisis have hit parts of the world at least. And of course, we are also going yeah. towards a more sustainable society. Yeah, I was just about to say the same thing, that it's energy efficiency is one aspect, but sustainability, I think, is, an, is another aspect when it comes to the, uh, 
like the total picture. Yeah. Mm. And for 5G, this is an extra hot topic because usually when you want to send more data, you need more power to send it, right? Yeah, there's a, a long-standing like historical challenge around every time you add a new add a new network or as you increase the data speeds, then you need to add more equipment and more equipment needs more energy, and so the energy consumed by the network goes up. But energy translates into electric bills for the operator, and electric bills for the operator, if they go up, that means that they need to charge more for the network services. So we as consumers aren't really all that happy with that. But today, firstly, there's been a lot happening with energy prices in recent years. They've been going up, been very volatile. And secondly, of course, energy is one of the one of the contributors to the carbon footprint for a mobile network and many operators looking to show their shareholders who own the business how they're operating in an environmentally responsible way and have targets and goals for reducing the footprint of, of their operations and their networks. And as part of that, they're looking to people like their suppliers, people like us, to actually pick up the burden and bring down the energy consumption of the network, but also to bring down the carbon footprint of what they're putting into the network. Some of the capabilities, I think, that we're looking at in the new radios, basically there's always some energy lost between what you generate in the radio and what actually goes out as radio waves. So one of the important things you can do is try and make that as efficient as possible and that's all tied up in the, in the circuitry you use for the radio. And you know, one of the things that we've put a lot of time into there is integration of devices. So we've got some really clever chips that we've designed and had made for us to do that, what we call Ericsson Silicon. So that's an important part of providing a, a solution there. 5G in itself, of course, when we talked about this before, is more efficient as a way of producing, as delivering data than 4G was. So there's a kind of natural evolution, generation by generation, as you move to smaller dimensions, that, that you can actually do things more efficiently. Mm. And I was just going to say that a lot of businesses now have sustainability goals. I know Ericsson has quite high sustainability goals. The company says that by 2030, emissions from own activities should be net zero mm. and emissions from supply chain, 50% reduction and emissions from portfolio use, 50% reduction. By 2030. By 2030. That's not that far away. And then by 2040, the whole business should be net zero. Wow. Do you want to talk something about that? Only to say, I think it's great to have those targets. And that there is a lot of work. It's not just writing down the target and say, you know, in 18 years time, we're going to be really good. And then not doing anything about it for 15 years and then saying, I've got three years left. What am I going to do? There is a you know, fundamental work and you can see that in, in these new product launches that it's fundamental in the design of the new products that the new products should be more efficient and they should contribute to lower carbon footprint and that we should have a plan of roadmap looking forward as to how we're going to take those steps in terms of reducing 
the carbon footprint in operation, but also in terms of the products that we sell and the, the operation of those products. Beyond the products, I know, you know that we have some very advanced factories which are implementing a lot of features for greener production, you could say, in terms of things like water usage, using you know, collected rainwater instead of just pumping in water for the factory, using solar power for running the factory, those types of things to be able to actually be more effective and be more environmentally aware in how things run in daily operations. Mm. It's all about the bigger schemes and the whole ecosystem in another way. Mm. It's everything from making sure that old radios also are recycled and the metals that's been used are reused and all sorts of things. So energy yes. efficiency, sustainability, big topics for service providers and companies all over the place. And, and of course, the recycling part is very important because if, if you introduce new radios and new digital units and you can do things more efficiently, then there's a benefit in investing to put those into your network because you get a payback from not using more energy. But the equipment that's there, it's no good adding equipment. You need to swap out equipment because otherwise you're running the old equipment alongside the new equipment and then you haven't yeah. gained anything. So, you know, you have to take out the equipment that was there and then what do you do with those? You want to be able to recycle those because otherwise the embedded carbon that's already embodied in that, it gets lost. If you recycle those materials, then you reduce the environmental impact of whatever you make from the recycled components. And some other interesting things about both launches and the energy efficiency sustainability was that there were more software features introduced as well, especially when it came to those kinds of sleep mode uh, things. I think there were a lot of those kinds of sleep features. modes. Yeah, yeah. I'm losing track of sleep <laughs> modes. There are so many different sleep modes, but it is actually one of the. It is an important feature. It is one of the ways that you make the system more efficient is to be able to reduce the amount of energy that the system uses when it's doing very little. Yeah. So I just wanted to say it's just not just about the hardware, it's also about the software that can help with the sustainability and uh, mm. aspects and energy efficiency aspects. Yeah. yeah. When a network is running with lots of users and lots of traffic, then everything needs to be turned on and then you're using more energy But of course, you're delivering a lot more traffic. So it's maybe more efficient in terms of how much energy per bit or mm. how much energy per web search or whatever that goes into running the network. When a network is low loaded, so in rural areas where maybe you've got less users or at nighttime, then you need ways to make sure that the network is using its capacity effectively and shutting down bits of the network that you don't need for providing this, the level of service that you're offering at the moment. Yes. Lots of clever stuff. But there are a couple of things, a couple of performance things, I think, that were interesting. Yes, to, you, you want to. <laughs> yes. Go ahead, Paul. There was a lot of massive MIMO performance. It was like, what was it, 15 gigabit per second? The upload speed, two gigabit per second download speed. You have so much to talk about here. I do, but sadly, I didn't get to see the 15 gigabits per second. So I don't actually <laughs> quite know the details of what they're doing there. But yep. uh, I'm sure if you were to, interested in how do you get 15 gigabits into a mobile signal, you could probably go onto the ericsson.com and to Google it or use your favorite search engine and find out more about that. But I want to talk about Massive MIMO, which you mentioned. Yeah. Massive MIMO, we all know what Massive MIMO is. Oh, do we? 
We know Mas- it's fast, right? Yeah, but no, but Massimo is this kind of te- technique for transferring lots of information from between you and the network. Mm, I even know that it's multiple input, multiple output. output. That's so MIMO. It's, mm-hmm. So it's it's sending you multiple data streams. And one of the things that, that you use for doing that is you use these array antennas. So you've got lots of antennas, lots of small antennas uh, in a grid, rows and columns. And when you use them together, you can adjust the signals on the from the, each antenna so that it creates a kind of beam effect. If you So you can send the radio beam only in one direction. Mm. It spreads out a bit, but only in one direction. That was one of the new features for 5G compared yeah, to 4G, that was, right? That's mm-hmm. one of the, yeah, you can do it at 4G as well. It's mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to do as the frequencies go up. So 5G you use, tends to use high frequencies. So at those high frequencies, you can use massive MIMO. And mm-hmm. what we're seeing now is that it's coming down a little bit in, in the frequency bands. But also the... The antenna elements, the size of the antenna element is also related to the frequency band. So as you come down in frequency band, the size of the antennas get bigger and bigger. So there's some kind of practical limitations on when you can do MIMO and when you can't. But you do use MIMO even in lower frequency bands, but then it's maybe 2 by 2 or 4 by 4 Whereas at the high frequency bands, you're talking like tens or maybe even hundreds of antenna elements. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. And uh, that's a challenge in itself because doing this processing, creating these beams, you need to actually work out where exactly is the user and what do I need to do to send it to him and how can I, because I can do it in reverse as well, I can use it and when I'm using the antennas for listening, I can actually steer them to listen in a certain direction so I can get a better signal from, from that listener or from that, from that mobile device. But that takes a lot of processing and things are happening at very high frequencies and they're happening in very short time periods. So you need to do a lot of processing in a very short time. And that comes back to what we talked about before about having good silicon, I think good devices that are optimized for doing that job. And we do that job at the antenna so that you get the optimum in terms of the timing between things arriving and being able to process them so that you can get a very high performance in, in doing that. But one of the things we're showing at the show, which I thought was cool, when you're receiving a signal, if you're designing receivers, the thing that's always like top of your mind is what we call signal to noise ratio. So I'm receiving this signal and at the same time I'm receiving the signal, I'm receiving lots of noise, like background noise. And you can think of it if you're in a room and you're at party or whatever, then hearing someone talking is very difficult because of all the chatter that's going along the side. If you took away everybody else and only had the same person standing next to you, it would be really easy to hear what they say. So that's the principle we're trying to get to. How do I hear the person I want to listen to and how do I get rid of the other people in the room? <laughs> that sounded a little bit murderistic, but yeah, okay. <laughs> Yes. And of course, in a mobile phone context, then I'm trying to listen to your phone, but maybe the signals that are coming from other directions that are interfering. You, mm. There's some uh, natural background noise as well that I, I need to filter out. And the beam effect, as I say, you can steer it as a receiver so I can listen to you, but it could be that, that my receiver, as well as listening to you, is still hearing stuff that's coming from different directions. It's just hearing you maybe a bit more. But as well as doing beams where I send stuff to you, I can create like zeros where I don't hear anything at all. Ah. Ah. So I can say anything that comes from just that direction, I'm not picking up. And what we're showing there is actually being able to do that with things that have been transmitted or not 
by devices in my cell, but devices in the next cell, so adjacent cells. So I can actually say, I'm getting a lot of noise coming from something over the, in the next street over. I'm going to actually create a zero and blank that out so that it's not interfering with my signal. And that improves the signal-to-noise ratio for mm. the communication between you and me, which means that we can transmit more data Hmm. between you and me because I'm not being interfered with from someone talking over my shoulder. Cool. So that's what we're doing with with the Massive MIMO stuff. So is that then that software? That's all software. It's, yeah, there's a lot of processing goes into making it happen, but basically the processing is all driven by software, yes. Hmm. So the 15 gigabit per second downlink, you didn't see, but you saw the 2 gigabit per second uplink. And can you describe this a little bit? What's the reason between 15 15 when you want to get data down, but only two up, and that's supposed to be impressive? It's a good question, and I think it relates a lot to how we often use mobile devices, handsets and smartphones and stuff. Traditionally, most services, people are using a lot of surfing and applications that need to send stuff to your phone, and relatively small amounts of data that you want to send to somewhere else. So there's always been a kind of asymmetric effect between uplink and downlink. Then there's a kind of very fundamental network problem that means that uplink tends to be lower speed than downlink. And that Uh is, when I'm sending uplink, I rely on the tiny little antenna and and the battery power that I've got in my phone. And when I'm doing downlink, I've got a great big enormous antenna on a mast and I've got a great big chunky radio which can pump lots of power so I can get a much bigger signal and a much stronger signal to send downlink than I can send for uplink. So it's easier to get downlink speed than it is to get uplink speed. But any speed, and I'm guessing you know, that partly if we look at the 15 gigabit per second, part of it is down to the amount of frequency bands that you can put data into. So if we look at you know, 40 as we increased in speed, it was normally when we were able to do carrier aggregation between multiple carriers, so multiple frequency bands. Mm. And every time you add more frequency band, then you get more capacity and then I can send more data. So fundamentally, to get more capacity, I need to send more data. To get more capacity, I need to have more bands or more spectrum. Or I need a clever way of using it more efficiently. Those are the options. And if you look at the downlink, then you know, what we're doing for two gigabit uplink, there are situations when we generate a lot of uplink traffic. And a good example of that is when people are in a sports stadium where people are, firstly, you've got lots of people, tens of thousands of people. So it doesn't need very many of them to actually want to upload a video of what they've just seen or a mass of photos or whatever to suddenly get large amounts of upstream traffic which the network has to handle. So what I said just applies. If you want good upstream capability, you need to have frequency bands. So what we're demonstrating is aggregating multiple frequency bands for upstream traffic. When we talk about uplink and downlink, Mm. that's what normal people say when they say upload and download data. Yep. But, I mean, we are, we're talking about the linkage between them. Like, yep. So that's why it's called downlink and uplink. But one thing that we were showing was actually for TV crews working, mm. they need to use the uplink because of course they are going to be live and they can't just, oh, wait a minute, we need to wait here. It's a little bit of a lag situation. And they need to be live from where things are happening when it's a 
TV signal, mm. then you know, you actually have a much higher quality requirement mm, than true. if you're just sending stuff from your phone. Yeah, if you're sending a video, yeah. Mm. Because you need like studio quality video, which is going to go to the TV studio, which mm. they're going to then send to people to have on their HD TVs at home. So they need a very high capacity, high quality link for uplink. Yeah. And that's um, why you normally have a bus somewhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> An outside broadcasting yes. bus. That's, yes. Yeah, that's common. Mm. Um, but yeah, you get reporters that are from Warzone or something, then they're using a satellite uplink and their smartphone for doing that. Mm. And you get a kind of poorer quality. But yeah, if it's a sporting event and you want to be able to provide high quality coverage, then you want a good quality connection. And then obviously, if you want to put a camera covering this bend in the road or wherever it is out in the middle of nowhere, that's a lot easier to do if you've got a mobile connection than it is if you have to take a cable there to link mm. it back to your bus. Yeah, it makes the work of roaming reporters easier. In the easier, mm. yeah. Hopefully. And I'm sure that can also be done by network slicing and like having that kind of capabilities in the network where you have a special slot. But a network slice is a good way if you want to guarantee the quality of a particular set of connections, then create a slice for those connections and they then get the resources that they need. And then people doing web surfing, which is like best efforts traffic and it's not time sensitive. If your web search takes a few milliseconds extra then you probably won't notice because the time it takes to do the web search is probably dominated by things that are happening elsewhere in the chain. Mm. Talking about reporting, let's listen to our roving reporter Swati Varma, who talked to the CEO of Singtel and asked her what she thought of the show and how Singtel is doing with their 5G launches. Anna Yip here. This is Anna Yip from Singtel. Hi, Anna. Hi. Welcome to our Ericsson booth. So we are here at Barcelona today. So what do you feel is the most interesting thing that you have seen in at Ericsson booth? I think you have a fantastic booth. This is one of my highlights every year. Um, if I have to pick one, I really like the one that is about energy efficiency because environmental sustainability is such a hot topic and there's so much more we need to do. Um, so I really love the way that you guys have laid out the different use cases and how we are pushing the boundaries of technology in order to do more. That's amazing. That sounds fantastic. If I may also ask you last question, that how is the 5G rollout progressing in your country? Um, it's going really well. Um, we have already achieved nationwide coverage since uh, last July 2022. So now we have more than not only the outdoor, but also indoor-wise, we have more than 500 buildings also on 5G. So I think right now, uh, consumers, the migration is going well. We already got about 600,000 customers uh, on our 5G plans. And we will you know, push for more because I think as more and more use cases coming up, for example, last year we have demonstrated how to use slicing to provide a seamless guarantee experience for consumers wherever they are for very important events, for example, the night race or Formula One. So we'll do more of such things in order to capture the essence of 5G and bring it to consumers. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And we are so, so grateful to have you here today with us. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Not a 
huge country to cover, Singapore, but looks like they still have some things that they are working on. Indoor coverage, that was the second product launch Ericsson did before Mobile Congress. Indoor coverage with new capabilities and some new features, Paul. What do you know about this one? It's a very interesting area. And we talked a bit in an earlier podcast about the private networks portfolio. And under the hood, it's the same thing. Because with the indoor portfolio, which is produced by our networks organisation, that is the equipment which goes into our private networks. So when we talk about new things happening in the indoor portfolio, that's actually new things that will come along in our private networks mm-hmm. portfolio as well. But can you talk a little bit about um, what is indoor? Why is that so special, this area? Yeah, it kind of applies to 4G. And if we look at the radio dot system, which is our main indoor system, and that's been around since the 4G era. But fundamentally, as we maybe all experience, a radio mast outside sends signals to you as a consumer. And if you're outside and have direct line of sight to the radio mast, you get quite a few bars of signal on your phone and you get a good connection. And then you move indoors and suddenly you've lost a bar or two and your connection is not as strong anymore. And as you walk further into the bowels of the building, then the signal gets worse and worse. And, and then think- suddenly you end up in the lift and you've got no signal at all. Yeah. <clears throat> and so- I think you you personally have experience of this. Your apartment is heavy, stone walls. And- yeah, my well, I live in an apartment building from 1912 yeah. or 1913. And it's like a multi-storey building and it's built with a big six spine in the middle, which is maybe... I think it narrows as it goes up the building, but where in my apartment it's about it's a wall, stone wall about a, about a meter thick or something. So if you're on the wrong side of that, <laughs> so I have very good Wi-Fi in one part of my apartment and very poor Wi-Fi in the other because there's no there's no easy way to get signal in between. And uh, listeners, you might suffer from this sometimes when <laughs> Paul's audio might not be so good. but that applies also from the mobile network if something is obstructing you and a classic is modern buildings often have films on their window to be able to reduce solar radiation into the building and keep you know stop you having to spend money on air conditioning to keep the building cool but that film on the windows is normally metallized and has does a good job of blocking radio waves from coming in as well so then on the inside you get poor coverage and poor performance so if you want to get better performance, then you actually install a mobile network inside. Yes. That's what an indoor system is. Exactly. But you can't have these bulky antennas in No, so there are some different ways of doing it, but you don't have one big antenna that blasts the building. You have smaller units. So you can have what's called picocells, which is like a mini base station, which you put on the wall. Or you can distribute the system a little bit more around the building. And that's what the radio dot is. It's You have a radio unit which actually supports multiple antennas. So it's a multi-antenna system. And each antenna is a round puck that mounts to the ceiling, a bit like a Wi-Fi hub, a Wi-Fi access point or a fire detector or something, a smoke detector or something like that that goes on the top. And the nice thing about using mobile instead of Wi-Fi is that you need a lot less of them. You get much bigger coverage area than you do with a Wi-Fi access point. But it allows you to provide good indoor coverage, and that's what you need. It's good to have in your apartment or in an office building, but it's also what you need if you want to have good indoor coverage for people going through an airport or a shopping centre, for people visiting people in hospital, if you're in a logistics centre or a factory and you want to run automated vehicles on, on a mobile, on a private network. So there's lots of applications for why you want good indoor coverage. 
Yeah. And here, the launches were both for, you know, there are some service providers, they have, oh, we want to make sure there are good indoor coverage for a multitude of buildings in an area, like a lot of indoor coverage. And then you come to this, okay, should we put up this large scale solution or how about just this coffee shop? And looks like the launches that Ericsson did was like, oh, now you can have both these large scale indoor to cover multiple buildings. Oh, is it 10 kilometer fiber reach? There is also a possibility to have a compact plug and play indoor solutions for smaller or medium sized businesses. So both options and then something really interesting perhaps for the consumer part. And that was... The precise positioning. What is that? Precise positioning. I'd say that's probably more interesting for the business side. Uh But Mm -hmm. one of the things that applications often want to do is work out where things are. And that can be, as you say, to be able to identify where somebody is, for instance, if you want to send them targeted advertising or something like that. But in scenarios where things are in a factory, so for instance, I've got automated vehicles running around and we talked about this in a previous episode. I need to, I want to know where the people are and I want to know where the AGVs are so that I can make sure that the two don't mix in an uncomfortable way, you could say. Yeah. But for things like asset tracking, if I've got devices which are connected so I can actually see where those devices are, it's not uncommon that people put things down and forget where they are. I understand it's a common problem on airports, for instance, when people have all these little trucks and things which run around and have different jobs. People park them and then go off shift and then the next person doesn't know where they put it. <laughs> <laughs> but but on a smaller scale within a building, then pieces of test equipment or things that you need for doing your job, then asset tracking for keeping track of those. But, but maybe even in, in a warehouse, if I've got a pallet of stuff which is trackable, then I can work out where in the warehouse that pallet is. So mm. if I need it, I can go find it. I'm just thinking, oh, it would be so nice to, you could navigate to a store with your smartphone because like mm. nowadays it's not that easy to like just start the GPS in a store the same way that you're using it to navigate roads yep. because GPS, you're indoors. GPS relies on external coverage. Yeah. And here might make it easier to find your way through the subway system, might make it easier to find your way through a shopping mall. That would be very convenient. I always have to look at the board to see where the store is. And then I have to, oh, where, now I have to find another board because I'm lost. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You're mm. thinking about the businesses, the enterprise area. Yeah. Okay. Now we've talked about the indoor and the uh, massive MIMO. And I can say when we talked about massive MIMO, Paul hit the mic three times while talking about massive MIMO. That's how engaged he is in that topic. You love that, right? <laughs> It's a good job it's not three strikes and you're out. (laughs) Not yet. So last but not least, another hot topic, of course, was gaming at Marvel Congress. And I thought as an ending of this episode and perhaps the segue into some other episodes that we're doing quite soon, we're going to listen to our roaming reporter again, Swati Varma, who tested out the virtual gaming. Let's say it was a sort of virtual dodgeball done by a company called Hado. And you can Google Hado or Hado. <laughs> H-A-D-O. Yes, H-A-D-O. They, are, they have like a one place at Mobile Congress 
at least in the Ericsson booth where you could set up and play this virtual dodgeball. And they had another team in Vodafone's office in Madrid across the country. And you could play this game against each other. Virtual sport. Virtual sport. So let's listen to that. Here with me we have... John Gamble. Hi John, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. After four days, a bit worn down, uh, busy. Uh, it was very busy, but also where we are at is about gaming and eSport and moving. So I've been moving a lot, uh, which is unusual for Mobile Congress. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And I've seen this section to be, this area to be very, very popular. What I can see in front of me is the big, it's like, of course, there are beautiful screens around me, but then I also see like a big area which you have cordoned off. So what's happening here? So it is uh, half of an arena. Now imagine you, you're playing something called dodgeball, where you're supposed to avoid balls coming against you physically, okay. normally, okay. and then you shoot balls and you protect yourself. But this is a dodgeball on steroids. Haddo Sports have created this platform where you can do uh, dodgeball with uh, augmented reality. So you need still physical space because you have to move. So normally uh, six, uh, what is it, the big arena? The arena is about six meters by? Ten. Ten meters, that's what you need. We don't have that space here. So what we have created is half the arena. And on the other side are two persons from uh, Vodafone uh, Madrid playing the same thing. So we're using a 5G network slice here. Okay. And to be able to guarantee that this game works anywhere, now, normally this game is played indoors in these uh, 6 by 10 meters arenas with Wi-Fi and everything. We've taken the whole setup and basically put it outdoors in a slice. What we're trying to show here is why you want to do slicing. You need to put content in from day one, stuff that the people haven't tried before. And I guarantee you they haven't tried this outdoors. And a slice in the 5G network is a perfect Wi-Fi environment outdoors. So that's what we're doing here. And you need headsets. Uh, you need a, a wristband and then you're off you go. So that's that's the only way you need. And uh, so what, are, what is special about these head, head They're not special actually, they're built on standard hardware. What's special is the actual game. The game is, it, it's simplicity comes the brilliance. It's like Tetris, you remember? Yes. Tetris is not that complex game, but you can get very good at it. Yes. So what you will see, if you imagine you come balls against you, you have to avoid them, you have to duck, you have to dodge and you can put up a shield in front and you shoot the other team with balls as well. So if I play South Lane today, am I playing against someone from the yeah, other side? You're playing against Moda from Madrid. So they are in Madrid. They have put up a network slice there as well. You want to try? I am very excited to try it. Like All right, let's go for that. Okay, my name is Jim. I'm in charge of Haddo in the UK and Ireland. Uh, we're here working with, with Ericsson to show how Haddo, amongst other platforms, things can we can take advantage of the, the 5G slicing. So you have no age categories or gender categories because it's all about skill and reaction speed and not about size and strength. So it's an ama amazing way of basically getting people active, physical, moving that really don't engage with normal sports at all. Sounds like my sports because that's the only sports I can play then. Yeah, and we're doing this using augmented reality. So you still see the real world and everything in it. There's no disconnection of any kind, but now we're merging computer graphics into the real world with you. Basically, we're turning you into a superhero and giving you the power to fire energy blasts from your hands. Awesome. Okay, so you're gonna be wearing a headset and a wrist piece. 
Okay. The headset allows you to perceive the augmented reality, but in doing so, it doesn't disconnect you from the real world. You still have all your peripheral vision, still see the world as normal. And the wrist piece allows you to activate the game controls. So throwing forward with your hand throws an energy blast. Raising your hand from low to high pulls a shield up in front of you. Okay, let's do it. Okay then. We also find for people who've had issues with virtual reality, because some people do, yeah. unfortunately, that you don't tend to get those same issues with augmented reality because you don't have the disconnection from the real world. Ah. And it's that disconnection from the real world, the, the loss of your horizon, the and that mix of what your senses are telling you and what you're seeing that causes yeah, problems. when I play. I'm just going to get the tracking sorted on this. It uses the artwork at the end of the pitch, and merging amongst the artwork, you've got augmented reality tracking markers. I see. So there's no electronics there, it's all done with the art. Wow, that makes it more interesting. So you're saying all this is by through art that it emerges yes. into that. Wow. There we go, just put my headset on for you. Uh, locked into place. Yes. So you're aiming with your head. So if you punch forward with your hand, no strength, just speed. You send an energy blast where you're looking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so no, no, nice clean motion forwards, bit of speed to it, but no strength. And each time you do it, you're going to send an energy blast out. I see that. I just need to move my head. Oh, right. this is fantastic. Good right. exercise for my head so far. Yep. If you relax your arm down by your side, yeah. a green bar fills up, takes two seconds. I see. And Complete. that's the energy. Throw your hand to the sky. Now you have a shield. Oh, wow. You take a step back, you can see it more clearly. So we're not taking the world away from you, we're adding to it. And okay. that's quite We're just waiting for your uh, <laughs> just waiting for an opponent to uh, to step in. Um, when the opponent steps in, you'll see them as blue. Okay. So in front of the opponent, you'll see a blue disc made of four triangles. That's their life marker. That's what you're trying to destroy. Yeah, so you're just in demo at the moment. Okay. So just getting used to draw. So punch forward, nice straight punch. There you go, they've brought up a shield. So if you hit that with three or four shots, it'll destroy it. Ah, uh, now I'm out. Yep. Okay. But you're back in again. So just nice, nice straight punches forward. There we go. There you go, and you've taken out their marker. That takes them out of game for three seconds. Then they're okay. back in again on full life. Mm -hmm. And I go again. Yep. Does that all make sense? Yeah, it's fantastic. Right. And it is so immersive. Like I can, right. let's, I start, can... let's start you into the game then. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought I'm already in the game. Don't be afraid to move around the space. Yes, that's what I'm especially, gonna... especially after they've been knocked out, because they're going to come straight back in firing. Ah, I see. <laughs> they are very good. <laughs> and I think they're doing it for quite many days now. Ooh. <laughs> that was fun. close, four I points to six. My two points, but that's not yeah. bad. <laughs> for the first time gamer. <laughs> Well, thank you. This was amazing. And there you go. And that's the, that's the basic concept of Haddo. Obviously, when you play it competitively, you get more involved than that, because uh, we're running it on a, uh, basically on training mode now, so it's nice and quick for people to understand. When you're playing competitively, though, those shots you're firing, yeah. you can change how big they are, how fast they travel, how often you can fire, and how many shields you can raise. Wow. But to be better at one of those things, you've got to be worse at something else. So across a team, you will take different mixes of abilities to support each other, and different, therefore, team, team roles, different tactics, different strategies. So it also promotes teamwork, collaboration, yep. and, and yet it's immersive and fun. Yep, and gets you very mobile. Thank you so much, James. That You're was welcome. fantastic. Thank you for your time. Yeah, so that is gaming, live gaming in virtual reality big thing and we will talk more about how networks need to be when it comes to gaming applications in an upcoming episode. Just want to say if by any chance you want to see more about what telecoms are doing when it comes to 5G, Mobile World Congress 
It's not just in Barcelona. It travels the world. I think there is a mobile congress in Singapore in June and a mobile congress in is it Los Angeles or Las Vegas in October. I'm not sure if Ericsson is going to show anything there, but those are the spots to be if you're interested in future telecom. Stuff. Now, the spot to be, Janina, is listening to the podcast. Of course. And continue to listen to the Voice of IG podcast. We are, <laughs> we're at it. We're incoming with hopefully more episodes very shortly. Okay, Paul, are we finished and ready to go to lunch? Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. And bye. And bye. <laughs> Remember to like, comment, subscribe. If you like this podcast, it really helps. We have a great team of people we're working with, but when it comes down to it, a lot of work is done by us too. And we weren't hired to do podcasting, Paul. We're not. I'm not getting paid for this. (laughs) (laughs) So please, if you want us to continue, give us some good reviews and recommend us to your colleagues. And if you want to contact us, email is best. And which email is it, Paul? 5G podcast at ericsson.com. Ah, you're so great. And, you know, out there, we love your suggestions and feedback. So please reach out to us. Ericsson is a Swedish multinational networking and telecommunications company started in 1876 and headquartered in Schiester, just outside Stockholm. We sell infrastructure, software and services in the information and communications technology for telecommunications service providers and enterprises, including, among others, 3G, 4G and 5G equipment and IP and optical transport systems. We employ around 100,000 people and operate in more than 180 countries worldwide. Ericsson has over 57,000 granted patents and has been a major contributor to the development of the telecommunications industry and is one of the leaders in 5G.